Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Believe in Temple Football podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. I'm John DiCarlo of AlScoop.com, joined again by my co-host, former Temple quarterback and assistant coach Adam DeMichael. Adam, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, John, man. Everything's good here. Temple faithful. How you doing out there, man? Uh, Halloween was good. Um, my two-and-a-half-year-old had a blast, got dressed up. We actually went out. I think both Friday or Saturday and Sunday. So the kid got a lot of candy. So Lots I'm a little uh, wired. I'm a little wired right now, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to this episode. What's your What's your rule of thumb for the kids? Do you just do you monitor how much candy they have, and then <laughs> you and Kathy just like save the rest for yourself? How do you How do you work yeah, that? You know what? You know my my neighborhood now we're handing out some full bars, so I was excited when I saw that. Um, mm-hmm. But he kept grabbing. You know when 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 the they let you, the kid grab what he wants. He kept grabbing Whoppers. And that's like the worst candy on the planet. So I'm like, hey, buddy, put that back. Grab those Starbursts over there. But, <laughs> you know, we've been monitoring what he eats now, what the kid likes. I mean, he likes Twizzlers. He likes those basic, you know, peanut M&Ms, regular M&Ms. So it was, uh, it was exciting for him. But and now we're on to, uh, on to, the, to, to Thanksgiving, and then he'll be fired up for Christmas. So I wish we could that, – that's the, the feel-good stuff of the day. I wish we could keep it going when we talk about – Temple football, but you and I both know the Owls are struggling. So they're, they're, they're three and five now. Uh, not much good at all. Came out of Saturday, a 49-7 loss to UCF. So again, the Temple's hopes uh, of becoming a bowl eligible team just keep getting slimmer and slimmer by the week. They're playing ECU this Saturday at 3 p.m. on the road. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the pod. But this is going to be a, a mailbag heavy episode. Fans are upset. I get it. They're upset. They want answers. They uh, they they want answers to the tough questions, and we'll we'll try to answer as many as we can. But um, yeah, just just not good all around. Another slow start. Um, nothing in the first quarter. Temple didn't get its its first and only points till late in the game when Justin Lynch came in and mop up duty. Just 297 yards of total offense. Uh, lots of injuries. We should know, you know, especially in the secondary. Dave Sean Winston's been out. Since the Rutgers game, Amir Tyler, MJ Griffin also missed the game. Keyshawn Paul was out at corner. So, uh, you know, the secondary is certainly depleted. But, again, this is a team that's been outscored now 67-7 to in the first quarter. Um, Adam, just before I get to the, the one thing that – one of the things I want to talk to you about, again, you, you know this team, you know this program, just as I've said in previous episodes, you're mere months from just being removed from the staff – what did you see Saturday? Again, I know it's the obvious question. Wasn't good. What, what are you seeing just on a, a macro level when you look at this program right now? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some, there's some, you know, ticked off fans. There's some ticked off alumni. There's some very angry players and there's some, you know, mad coaches. So, I mean, as a whole, there's a lot of people that are, you know, disappointed in the outcomes of games. And I think that, you know, as a staff, that's what we're, you know, graded on. So, I mean, I'm reading, I remember this, John, I remember, you know, after losses, whenever I was, you know, still coaching through those 10 years, you know, I mean, even with Roll Collins and with Coach Kerry, every time we lost, I get on Twitter, I look at other scores really quick. So I get on the bus, I'm like, all right, before I start watching the tape, I would just, every, after every loss, it was just the same people, not necessarily the same people, but people just, you know, how in the heck did they do this? Why did they do that? And a lot of people were, you know, swear they had the answers, which 
you know, sometimes they might, and sometimes they don't. I'm seeing people talk about, you know, this team and this program being, you know, just as bad as it was in 2006. I'm thinking to myself, like, I was on that team in 2006. And, <laughs> and trust me, it's not as bad. It's nowhere near as bad as it was back then. Like, John, we were the worst team in the country. Right. We, were, we lost back-to-back games 62 to nothing. Yeah. I mean, we were we had one sweatsuit. We were literally – we had guys that were embarrassed to wear that sweatsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we had to wear helmets. You can imagine this to all our loyal listeners out there like we had to wear helmets during stretch so the people in the neighborhood wouldn't hit us with rocks because they were telling us how bad we were playing mm-hmm. so that's where the culture and that's where the program was that it's not as bad as it is right now and i'm you know i just try to preface that because things are bad right now and um, that's good you, know, you can see that in the, yeah you can see that in the game you know over the weekend like it's it's 14 nothing i'll jump right to it and you know we throw a completion to jordan smith he's driving for a first down third long he fumbles it's 21 nothing, and next thing you know, you look back up, and you know, I told my wife she came downstairs after that. And she's like, "What's the score?" I'm like, "35 nothing." So that's how quick the game changed. And like I mentioned before, it's like, who is going to be there to stop the bleeding when things get bad? And and nobody could. You know, I mean, not one player. It's not like it's basketball where we can just give the ball to Shiz or one of those players. Deontay Christmas back in my days, mm-hmm. that could just go and get 15 points quickly. Now it's like, you know, I'm a, I'm really good, John, at reading lips. And I remember reading lifts, Amir Tyler on the sidelines. If you looked at him on the TV copy, and he always keeps talking about it's about us. We have to communicate. We have to talk. We have to talk. And I think that's probably some of the some of the situations and some of the problems they might have had defensively during during that game. Um, so again, it was it was ugly. The final score was ugly. Um, and you know, you're, you're just hoping that these guys can figure it out this week. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you about, and and I, I'm, I'm trying to I tried to do up my story, and I tried to bring some proper context to this, and um, I I, I kind of knew it was a quote that might kind of take off a little bit after the game, so I'm going to read an excerpt from my story. So you know, obviously nothing went right in both phases. Dwan Mathis spoke with reporters afterward, and so you know that this is the the story that I wrote about uh, story that I wrote on Al Scoop. You know, I, I talked about. You know, Dwan Mathis, and and as the press conference moved forward, um, he was asked, actually, I think by one of our guys, Javon Edmonds, um, about like what he sees at the line of scrimmage and if he can check out his stuff. And he said, yeah, but I don't get the have the luxury of checking. There's only certain plays where we get checks and certain plays we don't. So, and I have written here for context, that's not uncommon. Most quarterbacks, most college quarterbacks don't have free reign to check out of what they see pre-snap whenever they want. Like you and I were talking about before we started recording, unless you're maybe like, you know, Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck, no, yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody gets carte blanche to check out of stuff. And then, um, then I, I followed up with them and I said, what's your relationship like with Rod Carey and Mike Uramovich to tell them what you're seeing pre-snap and if they can make changes and he, so his answer was, I don't, and he kind of hesitated. He said, I mean, sometimes, but I don't really have that luxury. And I was referring more to like, what's your communication level like with them? And I, and I think it was a mix of him being frustrated when he says, I don't have that luxury. It does kind of come across as a little frustrated. And I get that like human nature is always at play here. So when he said that, I thought, okay, this might take off a little bit now for context for everybody who's listening Rod Carey talks first after games and then the players talk. So I didn't have the immediate opportunity to go to Rod. And again, it wasn't like I was trying to say, Ooh, this is super controversial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But so on Monday, I asked Rod about it. He got a little, got a little, he, he started talking about it. It was like, look, we talk every day. 
the open lines of communication are there. So, but I wanted to get your, your take on it uh, because again, who better to talk to than you, you have coached quarterbacks, you've played quarter quarterback um, when he, and again, I I'm, I'm correct on that, right? Most guys can't just check out of, Check yeah, out I mean, anytime you want. So if you're hearing about that, what's what's your read on that situation? Is this is it just a little bit of anything when 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 Dewan says, look, I don't really have that luxury. Is that a little bit of him just kind of leaving the answer short and being a little frustrated? What, what's your take on that? What yeah, context can you provide? To when, you know, when I when I read your story or I read I think it might have been Sam's story. That's kind of how I took it initially. I think there was some frustration from him uh, during that game. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as I look back on it, John, like the kids that are playing quarterback for us have only played in like literally five to six college games. You know what I mean? So we're like not even PJ Walker level when he was a senior that we were allowing him to, you know, listeners and yourself, like when you're out there quarterback, we had checks when, you know, PJ senior year, we're talking about run or we have a run play called. And then depending upon say we have a run play to the left call, here comes the boundary safety when the left hand, here comes the boundary safety. There's too many people to the left in, in simple terms. Okay, we're going to check the ball to our right. Flip That's it. a run to run check. You know, what I mean, pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a run to pass. This is what you saw from like Peyton Manning. You know, Peyton Manning, he would run the ball when there were two safeties. And if you had one high, he'd throw the ball to Marvin Harrison and those guys. Mm-hmm. So you can call a run to a pass check. Like in, in Temple now, right now, today, they do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like when I played, we had a three. We had, you know, I still remember the play from George DeLeon. It was twin eye right, green 22. Uh, check 24 trap purple trade 18 zone. That was three play calls, John, in one call. Mm-hmm. And this is like the worst. This is 2006 when we were the worst team in the history of college football. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were doing it in 06, and that was, you know, for my first year coming back from playing. So, you're talking run to run, run to pass. It could be a pass to pass depending upon coverage. So, there's a lot of different things that these guys go through. And to Coach Carey's credit, like he's sitting there with the offensive coordinator on Sundays. He's sitting there with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback on Mondays, and Coach Landry, the quarterback coach. On Tuesdays, like he's he's obviously involved in the plays that are being called and the plays that are being run. So does the one have the opportunity to check plays? When I was there, to an extent, yes. And like I said, there's a run to a run. Did and I also believe in your story. He said that he was able to slide the protection. He was able to, you know, if, if for instance we have the offensive line sliding to the field and there's a blitz coming, and here comes a boundary blitz. The one has the ch- chance and the opportunity to go ahead and slide the protection the other way to protect himself. And he mentioned that in your story as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, when he says, yeah, I see things, here's what happens. You come off to the sidelines after a series and you see coach Landry grab him and say, Hey, what'd you see there? This is what happens. Okay. You saw that. Okay. Here's what I thought. Okay. He goes and sits down, you know, he's mad. He's happy. We just scored, whatever it is, you know, the head, we get on the headset as the staff and we go through each play, you know, there's guys up in the booth, there's guys on the field. They're talking like, Hey, what did you see on the floor? Was the front there? Three down, four down, where the pressure come? Uh, you know, I mean, who got beat? What was the backside post there for the next play? Okay, cool. Let me go back and talk to our guys. The receiver coach is talking. Running back coach is talking. Then it's like, hey, these are the next four plays for the drive. These are the next two plays. These are the drive starters. So when he says that, I think, yeah, there's a little built-up fr- frustration. Um, but, I mean, again, he says, I see things. Yes, we all see things as quarterbacks. And just one of those things where, hey, you go back and tell him, like, coach, I know I can do more. But, again, the kid's only played five or six games. It's not like he's been – you know, in, in the system for a long time where he can go out there and just, you know, close his eyes and, and, and call a play. So right. that's kind of how I see it. Again, I'm not there anymore. So that's just how I, how I visualize and how I can, you know, think that it's going right now. Yeah, it's good context. I wanted to ask you about that again. Who better to ask than a guy who had coached in the, in the program, played in the program? Um, we'll, 
give a quick nod to, to what Temple's looking at when they play at a four and four ECU team this weekend. And then we'll get to uh, these remaining mailbag questions here. I want to thank all of you who chimed in. Some of these uh, came from Facebook and some from email, but again, real quick, um, ECU's four and four, the pirates are four and four overall uh, facing a pretty decent offense here. Again, they're, they're ranked just eighth in the American, but again, temple has not, well, I mean, the defense really hasn't been stopping anybody, but they've struggled in run defense. And they've got a pretty good freshman running back in Keaton Mitchell. Uh, he's the second leading rusher in the conference with 756 yards and five touchdowns. He's got good long speed to break runs. So, again, um, we'll see how things look in the secondary. But, again, if Temple's not stopping their gaps, he, he could he could be a problem all game. Uh, they've also got Rajay Harris. He's got 429 yards this season, 200 more than Temple's leading rusher. So, uh, and, again, it's worth noting Temple's only forced three punts in the last three games and, and none in the last two games. And that's really just, you know, they're, they're not. Pretty, they're yeah, not it's pretty glaring, John. I mean, you hit that right on the nose. I mean, three punts in the last three games. It's There's a lot of glaring statistics. And, again, you don't win games, you know, just by looking at statistics like that. And I trust me, I blurted off a bunch of them the other day. It's like, but they're very glaring. And that's like the big thing you look at now. It's like, holy cow. But you look at this team and they could easily be seven and one. You know, they – they lost their close one to South Carolina by three, you know, UCF by four, Houston by seven. So you're talking about a team that could easily be in, you know, seven wins and be leading the conference right now. So and they have a really good offense, you know, uh, offensive scheme and their quarterbacks, you know, been in that system for a long time. And I really liked him and I watched him throw during warmups whenever we'd be down there and, you know, playing those guys. I liked what he brought to the table and they have some good skill on the outside too. So um, I know we, we've had some success against ECU in the past, and we play them pretty well. Um, so, again, I, like you said, if we – I think, again, we need to start off fast. And, I mean, I'm sure that that's probably being said in every meeting. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably being said in every off the – you know, every meeting on the field after practice. It's like start fast, start fast, start fast. So, if Temple could start fast, you know, pick up a little bit of a lead, get up 10 nothing after 1-10-7, just pick up a little confidence – I think, you know, confidence breeds success. And I think, you know, we, we should have ourselves a chance here. Yeah. So we've got about a little less than 10 minutes to, to get through as many of these mailbag questions as we can. Uh, so we've got, um, maybe Adam, we'll start with some of these ones from Facebook first. These, this is from one of the Facebook groups, the Temple uh, Facebook groups. This one comes from Dave Goldberg. I've known Dave for a long time. He's also a faithful outscoop.com subscriber. So thanks, Dave. Um, here's his question. Adam, first, thank you for everything. Thank you for doing this. It is obviously crystal clear on what has to happen. My question is, how do we protect the players and support staff? Meaning if a change is apparent, how do we keep the players engaged and continuing to develop? As a former player, what have you seen from, from your teammates and other teams in general on how to stay healthy during a transition? What would be your thought process? So yeah, again, yeah, you come bringing the fire. Pretty yeah, bringing early. the fire right away, talking about a coaching change. Again, no coaching change is happened i know i'm gonna get questions about this on my outscoop podcast as well but adam what, what are your thoughts there yeah i mean i think that nowadays i think it's a, a totally different animal because of the transfer portal i mean regardless i mean if a change were to happen i truly feel like the players are gonna do you know whatever they best whatever they see is best for them i mean like when when, when matt when coach rule left i remember being at the bowl practices and you know some of the coaches were there and some weren't mm -hmm. um you know what i mean it's like you know and the staff that was there you know, we're sitting there like, hey, are we going? Are we going to get fired? Who's the next guy that's coming in? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So coaches are on edge. And yeah. then you got players like, 
that are sitting there thinking like NFL guys that are not going to practice as much or practice as hard or might skip the game because, hey, my coach isn't here. The vibe's different. Our leader's not there. We have graduate assistants coaching. You know what I mean? Everybody's kind of on edge. It's like, you know, who's the next coach? Will coach Foley get the job? Mm-hmm. You know I mean, then you got young guys like that rule. We're just recruited and we're just in this house, you know, months before this. Like, what if this next guy doesn't like me? It's like, that's the tough part of the business as a player. And, you know, to keep them engaged, um, both on and off the field, you know, you hope that if, again, if something were to happen, um, that, you know, the, the new AD has something in place where, you know, it's like, hey, these are the guys we want to bring in an interview and get it done as quick as possible. Now that's me saying that without really thinking, but, you know, you want to get the right fit. It will allow everyone to start quickly. Um, it will allow for the new coach to begin recruiting, you know, whether it's JUCOs, high school transfers, and then his own team. Because the worst part about this, and, you know, when I was with Coach Carey, spent some time recruiting and stuff, every year coaches are going to have to start recruiting, not just their, uh, not just the high school kids and, the, you know, the transfer and stuff. They're going to have to recruit their own team again. Yeah. It's like if these guys aren't playing. These kids aren't happy. You have to recruit all 105 guys on your team and then go and find other kids. So that's the toughest part to me. And I kind of that I see that that's probably how you're going to have to keep those guys engaged. And, and it, it's not easy because that week on bowl prep and a couple of weeks after that, when we didn't know who was going to be the next coach, was difficult for both the staff and players. Yeah. So we got time for a couple more here. Um, um, another one. This is from Facebook from Scott Price. Scott, thanks for the question. Adam, since you've been around for several coaching staffs and have experience with Rod Carey and company, how would you say the culture has changed within Temple football? I know I have felt for a while that Carey has has somewhat abandoned the unique Temple tough culture that has been cultivated under prior coaches. So another, another question here where Scott's bringing the fire. Yeah. And I, um, I'm only going to speak on the staffs that I, you know, I've been a part of, not that I've played under. So like, I won't talk about Al Golden and how he did things, but like, you know, when Roll was there, he was coming in, obviously after Adazio. But one thing that he did was he made sure and he was very quick that he made sure people understood what we were about and what, what the players were getting themselves into um, when he walked into that door. Now, when we walked into the door, he was like the toughest, most competitive team in the country under here. And that was a sign that was on the door. So that was kind of ingrained in us. You know, that's how we practiced. That's how we did our offseason. That's how we were with our weight room staff and our full-time staff. It was, it was basically talked about so much that the players basically had two options, John you know, buy in or get out. Mm-hmm. And then when you're talking about, you know, Jeff Collins, who knew rule, who have some similarities, you know, he actually, you know, got to work with the, the same players that rule and his staff recruited. So those older guys knew how things should be done and at, you know, what level they had to be done at. And then with raw, you know, he came in a situation where two coaches just came in that, that just left previously, they moved on to bigger programs. So it's like Temple, Temple's winning. We were winning seven to ten games a year. And it's like I mentioned before, I think the players almost thought and they felt like that's the norm now. You know what I mean? Like you come to t- TU, you come to Temple, that's what's going to happen. You're going to win seven to ten. And then when Rod got here, it's like you bring some stuff with you. You got to leave some stuff in the past. So I don't necessarily feel like he necessarily got away from the Temple Tough Monstra. But the players, the players were the ones that kind of, you know, built this thing up and they knew so much about it and then, when those young guys got here, I don't know if they necessarily bought all the way in. So the players have always had pride in that Temple Tough mantra. So, again, I don't think, you know, Rod necessarily got rid of it, but I don't know if he did enough to, you know, keep it going the way it should have been going. You know what I mean? Got a couple minutes left here. The next one's from Greg Angeli uh, from Facebook. Adam, would you consider coming back to Temple and coaching under a new head coach? And then his follow-up is, 
are the assistant coaches all on a one-year contract? Because if the if the athletic director yeah. could get rid of them and hire his own coaches and have Carrie work with them, again, that's yeah. what we can get to that one in a second. But uh, yeah. so Adam, um, you, just, you just uprooted your family to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Would you come back to work for a new coach? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always easy to ask questions like that because you know the team's not successful right now, and you know, bring back someone that people liked. People did like me there for some odd reason. No, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, been there a long time under three staffs and. You know, it holds a special place place in my heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I'll never say never, I don't think. No, but I did leave for a reason to spend time with my family and kind of attack this next phase of my life. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You never know, man. If the situation was right, you never know. And then for me personally, you know, I was always on a one-year deal. Um, I know that I think it differs with each university. I think it might differ with each coach individually. For instance, if you have a guy that's like, Maybe the next coach in waiting, he might be on a three-year deal, making more money than where you know that 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 tight end coach that's you know making eighty grand. That might not be there. So I think it's just difference. And like I said, I've seen dudes on two two and three-year deals, and then I've always been on a one-year deal myself. So that's kind of how that rules. All right, we got time for one more here, Adam. Why don't you read this last one before we sign off here? Yeah, this is um from from Tony on Facebook. Appreciate the question. Um, another. Hot and fierce one right here, John. Most fans uh-huh. are under the impression that Rod Carey has lost the locker room. In your experience, what can a coach do in order to win his players back? Um, so to be honest, in my time at Temple, I don't think there was literally ever a time where a coach lost the locker room, so to speak. Like, to me, personally, being a player, I don't know if that's even a thing. Like, I think that's something that's almost made up because um, I don't know how people get that information. I don't know how it gets out because you have to understand like these kids are 17 to 21 year old kids and there's going to be a lot of unhappy kids, whether it's because of playing time, losing, you know, relationships, being away from home, their girlfriends, whatever it is. And I'm sure there are players that do enjoy playing at Temple and for Rod Carey. So I think it's always going to differ. And then it's like, you have to find ways to, you know, again, how can coach win back his players? You know, again, you got to get your staff and get to know your staff and get to know your players on more of a personal level. I think that's more most important to me um, just as, as, as much as anything because, you know, they have to know how much you you care about them, you know what I mean, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I would start. I think, you know, Rod did start that when I was there, you know what I mean? But if he indeed lost the locker room, you know, like some people were thinking, it's weird because I still feel like the players are showing effort. I still feel like they're playing extremely hard. Mm-hmm. And here's what I do know, John. These kids do not want to look bad. Even though the scores look bad, and some individual play looks bad, but if they lost the locker room or playing bad, not necessarily on purpose, but these kids do not want to like to be embarrassed. They do not like to be called out in front of their peers. So these kids are still playing hard, and that's what I like to see when I'm out there. Like I said, man, that, that's the most important thing to me. So I don't know if he lost the locker room. I think there'd be a little more, um, a little more talk about that from some sources, and you know, there'd be some more stories out there if that was the case. So that's kind of how I feel personally, but you know, again, I could be totally wrong, but yeah. Listen, we'll have uh, hopefully more time to record next week. We do appreciate those questions. Keep them coming. Uh, we want to get get you guys, like like we said at the outset of doing this, as much access to the program as possible and as much access to, to Adam's brain and his expertise and his perspective. So thank you for all those questions. We'll try to get to more of them, much more of them next week. And uh, you know we'll have more conversation about uh, how Temple fares down in Greenville uh, against ECU. So uh, I'm John DiCarlo for Adam DeMichael. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And we will talk to you next week.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.